Hello, and welcome to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. My name is James Early. Thanks so much for joining me today. Each week, we take a fresh look at the Bible and dig down beneath the surface of things to the deep spiritual lessons of God's love for each one of us and how to live that love in our daily lives. The goal is to get back to the original Christianity of Jesus with his focus on healing and salvation and his message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's jump right in. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. This is episode number 19. Today we're going to talk about how to discover your spiritual purpose in life. Over the years, I've heard a lot of people, especially when I was younger, trying to figure out what they were supposed to do in life, what they wanted to do, what they wanted to make their career. A lot of the advice you hear is, well, figure out what you're good at. What do you really enjoy? What are you passionate about? And what do you think you could make some money at? What would people be willing to pay for? All the talk is about what do you want to do? What are you good at? They're all focused on what you want. And that's basically the problem. Where is God in the process? What does God want you to do with your life? There's a big difference between you trying to figure out what you want and listening for what God wants. Take a minute and think about one of your favorite Bible characters other than Jesus. I was thinking about Gideon. Gideon was threshing wheat, going about his daily tasks, when an angel of the Lord appeared to him and called him and told him God wanted him to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. There's no way that Gideon could have been preparing for this job. Gideon didn't have some goal that he was trying to achieve to defeat the Midianites. He was just trying to survive. In fact, when God told him what he wanted Gideon to do, Gideon balked. He said, why are you picking me? I'm from the smallest tribe of Israel. I'm in the smallest family and I'm the youngest. He's sort of like saying, I'm the most inconsequential person and you're choosing me? He didn't have any aspirations for this job that God wanted him to do, even after God was appointing him. But once he got on board, Gideon was fearless, and he trusted God, and he did exactly what God wanted him to, and he was victorious. Think about Moses, actually, before Gideon. Moses was the same way. He may have had grand ideas of what he was going to accomplish as he was being brought up as a prince of Egypt. Once he left Egypt and was wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, before he went back to deliver the children of Israel from Pharaoh, he was just tending sheep. He was forced to give up any grandiose plans he thought he might accomplish during his lifetime until God called him and said, I want you to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And just like Gideon, Moses balked at that. He said, who am I to go before Pharaoh? I can't even talk clearly. I stumble and I mumble and I don't know what I'm doing. I need somebody to help me. But God chose him because his heart was right. That was true with Gideon as well. And that's true in every situation. When God calls someone in the Bible to do something, it was because of the qualities in their heart, the way they thought that was appealing to God and that God could work with. Think of the story of Esther. She was made queen in a foreign land. Well, here she is in this position of power right when she needed to be because it wasn't too long after that that Haman plotted to kill all the Jews. Because Esther was in the place she was at the time, she was able to appeal to the king so that the Jews could defend themselves. 
There's so much more to that story, and of course you can read that in the book of Esther, but my point is here, as with Moses and Gideon, she didn't plan on how to get the position of queen and then save the day when she needed to. God put her in the place he wanted her to be in, and he prepared her to do what she needed to do. In fact, when she was balking at going and talking to the king because if he didn't reach out his golden scepter to her when she walked into the throne room, she could be put to death. And Mordecai said, well, guess what? Maybe you're here at this moment for this exact reason, so you have to do what God has put you here to do. There's so many more people in the Old Testament we could talk about who found their sense of purpose because God put them in a situation and revealed it to them. Let's look in the New Testament. Think about Elizabeth and Zacharias. They had been praying to have a son for years, but now they were very old and had given up all hope of having children. And yet, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias when he was in the temple offering incense and said, you're going to have a son. Well, his prayers had finally been answered. He was going to have a son. Well, there was a lot more going on in this story. This child was going to be John the Baptist, who then would help prepare the way for Jesus to be acknowledged as the Son of God, as the Messiah. There's no way that Elizabeth and Zacharias could have had a goal to be the parents of the prophet who would announce the coming Messiah and prepare the way for him. The supreme example, perhaps, is Mary and Joseph. Mary did not have a goal as a young girl to be the mother of Jesus. Joseph did not have a goal that he was trying to achieve in the role that he ended up playing, acting as a human father to Jesus as he grew up. But that's what God called him to do. Another really powerful example of this is the case of Paul. He thought his purpose in life was to persecute Christians. He was still being called Saul at the time. But after his experience on the road to Damascus, he discovered God's purpose for him was to preach Christianity and share it and establish the Christian church in Asia Minor and in Greece, all the way to Imperial Rome. He spread the gospel of Christianity far and wide. That was the exact opposite of what he thought his purpose had been when he was persecuting Christians. All these people we've talked about were doing what they thought was their life purpose at the time, whether it was Moses tending sheep or Gideon threshing wheat or Esther just being queen or Zacharias just offering the incense in the way he always did or Mary and Joseph just being engaged to each other and wanting to start a life together. And then, of course, Saul, too. They were just doing what they thought they were supposed to do when God came to them and called them to a higher purpose. This has got me to thinking, what is our purpose in life? Is it just to have a successful job, a nice family? We have all these plans and we make all these goals. People make business goals and personal goals. And all these things are fine. But we can't be so caught up in our plans that we're not aware of what God wants us to do. Have you ever thought about what God's purpose for you in life is? I think it's time we all think about that a little more seriously than we have before. I've thought about that a lot. God, what do you want me to do with my life? How can I glorify you? But then the daily demands of life take over sometimes, and I get pulled in so many different directions, and I have to come back to seeking God's will for what he wants me to do, how I can glorify him. Have you thought much about what your purpose in life is? You may have 
tried to figure out what you wanted to do and been very good at it. Or maybe you're still even trying to figure that out. But I think it's more important for us to think about what God wants us to do. I believe each one of us has a God-given purpose. God has created us to serve and glorify Him in a very specific way. But here's the question, how on earth do we figure out what that is? Sometimes it comes quickly, sometimes it may come slowly over years. Maybe it's a growing awareness of what you feel called and moved to do. However it comes, fast or slow, we need to continually ask God for what He wants us to do with our lives. If you've gotten a sense from God what His purpose for you is, God bless you. That is a wonderful gift, and I hope and pray that you are pursuing that. But there's so many people I've talked to that really don't have a sense of where their life is going. They feel like they're kind of treading water. They have no idea what God's plan for them is. Well, I got to thinking about this, and I've looked back on my own life and realized that as I've made myself available to God, God has responded and called me to a higher sense of the purpose and plan He has for me. Many years ago, when I was probably just out of high school, I heard a speaker at church one time offer this simple little prayer, and it was this, Dear God, prepare me for what you have prepared for me. That has been my keynote for many, many years. To really offer that prayer involves a willingness to let go of our own hopes and desires, our own personal aspirations and preconceptions about what we can do or not do, and put it all in God's hands. And that's the key. Sometimes God may call you to do something you don't want to do or that you don't feel you're good at, but he has a plan for you The more humble and willing we are to obey God and go where he leads us, the more blessings there will be and the more on purpose we'll be. I remember when I was in high school, I watched the Ten Commandments on TV. You've probably all watched it many times. I have. Charlton Heston as Moses was so inspiring to me. The first time I saw it, I was in awe, especially when the Red Sea parted. I was inspired. I felt this welling up inside of me that God had a bigger purpose for me in life, that God had something important for me to do. I think it was the first time I really felt God calling me. I had no idea what it was, but I knew that God had a plan for me. Over many years, I have felt God impelling me in certain directions. Even all the way back there in high school, I felt this urgency, this desire to work toward unity in the body of Christ among Christians of all different flavors and denominations and theologies and all those things, there can be so much bickering between Christians and accusations and judgmentalness. Even within a denomination, there can be such harsh judgment and criticism. That's not the way Jesus wanted us to coexist with our brothers and sisters. It has given me over the years a much deeper and richer appreciation for Christians of any denomination or no denomination that we're all working together for Christ, not for our own personal glory or the benefit of our particular church. All churches should flourish if they're Christ-focused. That's what's really important to me. Over the last five or ten years, God has been saying to me, go and preach my gospel to the nations. Does that mean I'm supposed to be an ordained preacher? And the answer has always been no. That was not my calling, but God wants me to preach the gospel. Jesus said that we should all preach the gospel to every creature. How do you do that? 
Well, about 10 years ago, I started a blog, and now recently I've started this podcast. I'm working on a book about prayer. These are my modest little ways of being obedient to what God is calling me to do. And I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface on fulfilling my God-given purpose. But I'm doing what I know now. So you may be wondering, well, I don't feel like I have any kind of a purpose. James, that may be great for you. You've gotten this sense of what you're supposed to be about, and you're working on all these projects, and that's great. But I have no clue. I'm stuck in this 9-to-5 job. I don't have time to think about what God wants me to do. I'm just trying to survive. Life is so demanding right now. I totally get that. And the more I've prayed about this, I've realized there are ways to prepare our hearts to receive and hear God's calling on our lives. There's so many things we could talk about, but the thing I want to share with you today is what I got out of the Sermon on the Mount. This is what's been helpful to me. The more that I have put into practice, the more that I have made a sincere, earnest, humble effort to practice Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount— the more I have heard God's calling in my life. I'm not going to go over everything in the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm going to go over a lot of the highlights here. And when you do what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are preparing your heart to be ready for when God calls you. If God calls you and you're not ready, you probably won't even hear it. Maybe he may be calling all of us every minute, but if we're not ready to hear it or if we're tuned in to something else, We don't know what he's saying to us, but being obedient to the Sermon on the Mount sharpens our spiritual sensitivities to hear God's voice because we're putting first things first. We're being obedient to Jesus and we're spiritualizing our lives and our thinking. So let's just look at a few of these things in the Sermon on the Mount. First, think about the Beatitudes. Be poor in spirit. Mourn. Be meek. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Be merciful. Be pure in heart. Be a peacemaker. Don't be upset when you get persecuted. When you can do those things, that's preparing your heart to receive more of God's direction in your life. Be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Don't be afraid to share the talents and the insights that God has given you. Another thing Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount was to give a deeper, more spiritual view of the Ten Commandments. For example, do not kill. He said, don't even be angry with your brother. Don't call them names. In other words, don't kill their joy. He went to the spiritual essence of what that commandment was. The same thing with don't commit adultery. He said, if you look on someone with lustful thoughts, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He was getting to the heart of what adultery was all about, all those commandments really, that it's what's going on in your heart. You may obey them outside, but if on the inside, you're coveting and lustful and want to kill somebody because you're so mad at them, you're breaking the commandments. And Jesus nailed us on that. So take a deeper spiritual look at what the commandments mean and how you can obey them in your life. He said, don't swear. Let your words be simple. When you say yes, let it mean yes. When you say no, let it mean no. Don't equivocate. Don't pretend. Don't put on pretenses. No more eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. Why does that prepare you to hear God's voice? Because you're not retaliating with the human mind and the human ego. You're stopping and letting God be in charge. And the more you do that, the more you'll hear God's voice. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. When we have that spiritual discipline in our lives, in our daily practice, there's a real spiritualization that goes on in our hearts. 
And God can work with that. The more love you express, not just to your friends and your neighbors and the people you enjoy being with, but to your enemies, the more you will hear God's voice to you and have more clarity on his purpose for you. And this kind of sums up the way Jesus is telling us all that we must love the way God does, which is impartially. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust. We need to have that impartial, unconditional love for everyone, just like God does. All that was in chapter 5 of Matthew. In chapter 6, Jesus talks about giving alms, praying, and fasting in private instead of out in public where everybody can see you. Jesus was never impressed with the people that were praying and fasting and giving alms out in public so that everybody would see how holy and righteous they were. Well, we can sort of laugh and say, oh, I would never do that. But do we really? Don't we want recognition for the good we've done? Don't we want to get credit? When we do it privately and turn it all over to God, that humbles our hearts. Every time you humble your heart, you'll be able to hear God better when he speaks to your heart. Jesus talks a lot about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't pray like the heathen. Don't use a bunch of words. Don't run on and on thinking God's going to hear you because you're talking so much. Let your prayers be simple. And he also made the point of when you pray, don't start with the problem. How many times when we pray do we start with the problem? And he said, start with acknowledging God and his glory and his kingdom and his power and his presence. That's what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Then Jesus talks about not treasuring material things. When you put your hope and your faith and your trust in and value material riches, material wealth, the accumulation of material things, titles, cars, houses, jobs, fame, fortune, all those things, I'm sorry, but it's harder to hear God's voice because you're more preoccupied with protecting those material things than you are in listening to God and finding out what he wants to do with your life. Jesus said instead we should treasure spiritual things. We should store up our treasures in heaven, not on earth. And he made the point, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and the material world. But somehow, sometimes we think we can get away with that, and it does not work. Then Jesus tells us not to worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear or the things that we need, that we're supposed to trust God to provide everything we need. When you are really trusting God for everything, you're setting yourself aside, your position, how much money you make, how much money you inherited, all these material circumstances. You're not relying on those, and you're not afraid if you don't have those things because you're putting your trust in God to meet all your needs. The more you are preparing your heart, the more God is really preparing your heart to hear what God is calling you to do. Because each of these things is spiritualizing your thinking. Then you're more in tune to hear what God is calling you to do. You remember in Jesus' parable of the talents, there were three servants. One was given five talents, one was given two talents, and one was given one talent. Now, a talent was a whole lot of money. It's like thousands of dollars. The first two servants doubled their money while their master was gone. The third one, who only got one talent, took it and buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with it. Well, when he came back and they all reported to their master, he said to the first two servants that had doubled their money, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. 
That's what we're doing here. When we can be faithful over these few things, and actually there are more than a few here in the Sermon on the Mount, when we can be faithful over a few things of the Spirit, and we're doing these things that Jesus told us to do with all our hearts to the best of our ability, we're being faithful over a few things. And God is working with us in this process. God will take that faithfulness and the preparations of your heart and reveal to you his greater purpose for you in life. And you'll be able to receive it and accept it and do it because you have prepared your heart through obedience to these things we're talking about that are in the Sermon on the Mount. I kind of got off track here. Let's get back to the rest of these things. Jesus said, and this is really to the point of, of what we're talking about, Jesus said, Seek first and foremost the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you're going to have everything you need in the immediate context of your daily life, but also in the bigger context of what you're going to do to glorify God and fulfill his purpose for you. In chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus says, don't be so judgmental and critical of other people. Deal with your own stuff first. If you've got a beam, a log, or a plank in your eye, get rid of it before you criticize someone else for having a little speck of dirt in their eye. Sometimes we have a big problem that we haven't dealt with in our own lives, and yet we're critical and judgmental of someone else who has some little problem they're dealing with. Jesus says, stop that. That's not going to prepare you to receive God's blessing or purpose for you. Jesus said, when we need something, ask. When we want something, seek for it. When we're really intent, knock on the door. When we ask, seek, and knock, we'll get an answer. So never give up. Keep going until you find the spiritual answer to a question or a solution to the problem. Then Jesus gives us a warning. He says, beware of false prophets. Watch out for those people who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. They're hypocrites. They're not there to help you. They're just there to satisfy themselves. I think the real message there is be spiritually alert to what's going on around you and who you're being influenced by. Because if you let someone influence you away from doing God's will, you're much less likely to hear God's voice calling you to do what he wants you to, to fulfill his purpose in your life. So be alert to the mental influences around you. Another warning Jesus gave was that just calling him Lord is not going to get you into heaven. He said, you have to do my father's will. That's what it's all about. You have to put these ideas into practice. You can't just talk about them. You have to live them in your daily life. Once Jesus is finished with these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, he shares a wonderful metaphor about life and our purpose. He says, if you'll obey all the things that I've told you to do in this sermon, you are like a man that builds his house on the rock. And when the wind comes and the waves beat against it, it won't fall because it's built on a strong foundation. But if you're one of those people who hears all these ideas and thinks, yeah, that's great, or or, that's a bunch of nonsense, and you don't do them, you don't obey what Jesus tells us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, then you're like a man who builds his house on the sand. When the wind blows against the house and the waves beat against the house, it erodes the sand on the foundation after a while because there's no solid ground underneath and eventually the house will break up and fall apart. My wife had a friend many years ago who had a family home on Long Island. It was built right on the shoreline, and eventually when the shoreline shifted, 
the foundation crumbled because underneath it, it, there was just sand and the house fell apart and was swallowed up into the ocean. That happens in our lives when we don't obey Jesus. So if you're looking to get a better understanding of what your life purpose is, I encourage you strongly to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. That's chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. And each line, each verse, or each section, however you want to break it up, ask yourself, how can I obey this more closely in my life right now? You're probably already doing a pretty good job at it, but we can always do a little better. As you do this, you are preparing your heart to hear God's voice and be ready for the calling that you have. There's no way for us to humanly know what God's purpose for us is. It's a revelation directly from God. You cannot choose and decide what God has ordained you to do. It's your job to be ready to hear what he reveals to you. And that takes humility. And you can do this. It's step by step. That's okay. It may come in a flash of revelation that God has a big purpose for you. It may be something that takes place over years, and it's a growing awareness of what God wants you to do with your life and how you can glorify him and bless all mankind in the process. I hope these ideas have been helpful. These are things that are so important to me, and I hope they're important to you as well. The more we can set aside our own personal desires and seek to do God's will, We'll do so much more good in the world. We'll bring many more blessings than we ever could just by using our human will and our human determination and our human efforts to get things done. I'd love to hear from you on how and when you discovered what your God-given purpose is. What have been the aha moments for you? What was it that helped you realize what God wanted you to do in your life? Or if you're still working on it, I'd love to hear about that process too. Or if you have questions, let me know. This is so important because the more that we all do this, we experience more of God's guiding, protecting in our own lives. It's not just about each one of us individually discovering our God-given purpose, but God is using all of us collectively to fulfill a purpose so much bigger than we can imagine. And we're part of that. And we may not see that right away. That's okay. Do what God wants you to do. That's the important thing. You can be in touch with me on Facebook or Instagram at The Bible Speaks to You or on my website, thebiblespeakstoyou.com. So we're still working on our prayer project, 20 Ways to Follow Christ in 2020. If you're new to The Bible Speaks to You podcast, you can find this list of 20 things on episode number 12. Go to thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 012, and you'll see a link there where you can download and print out this list of 20 ways to follow Christ in 2020. So this is week number eight, and this week we're going to change the water into wine. That's from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, when Jesus was at the marriage in Cana of Galilee. Now, I'm not talking about literally turning water into wine. I'm taking this as a metaphor. Jesus took something very ordinary and he turned it into something special. So this is my sense of what this could mean. You might get a completely different idea, but to me, to turn the water into wine is to take some ordinary situation or circumstance 
and be inspired. Trust God to give you a new idea, new approach. You could be washing the dishes and instead of thinking, oh my gosh, I got to wash the dishes and scrubbing these dirty plates is so boring. I'd rather be doing something else. Why don't you find inspiration from God? Turn it into a metaphor for God washing away all the dirt out of your heart. Turn it into a metaphor for you working to help other people solve their problems. It could also mean taking something ordinary like water and turning it into something inspiring. Think about the way you say the Lord's Prayer. Are you just saying the words or is there real inspiration there? I'm not talking about turning literal water into literal wine and getting drunk. I don't think that's what the message was there. Jesus took something very plain and simple like water and turned it into something more special of high quality that met the need at the time. So how does that idea translate into your daily life? Think about that and pray about that. So this week, turn the water into wine. Take something ordinary and turn it into something fascinating and inspiring and a blessing for others. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, which is number 19, just go to thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash 019, and you'll see the scriptural references I mentioned in this episode. If you haven't already subscribed to the Bible Speaks to You podcast, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, and leave a review. Let me know what you thought about this. I would love to hear if something was really helpful. And as always, I would be very grateful if you would share this episode with a friend. There are a lot of people who are trying to figure out what to do with their lives, and too many of them are not really asking God for help. There is someone that needs to hear this message about discovering God's purpose for them. So please think of someone, just one person, that you could share this message with that would be a real blessing to them. I want to thank you so much for being here and listening. I am very humbled by the responses that I've been getting from listeners. There are people all over the world tuning in to this podcast. And as we pray together to bless the world and to discover our God-given purpose, the world is not going to be the same place. Our prayers individually and collectively for ourselves, our communities, our churches, and the whole world cannot do anything but bless everyone. We can be a powerful force for good in the world. And I just want you to know that you have a part in that. And I am so grateful. I guess that's it for this week. Thank you so much for being here and listening. I am so grateful. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. God bless you and have a great week.